Listener-supported St. Gabriel Catholic Radio AM820 brings you The Seminarians, a dialogue with students from the Pontifical College Josephinum, produced by AM820 to encourage and inspire vocations to the religious life. And now, The Seminarians. Welcome to The Seminarians Show on St. Gabriel Catholic Radio. My name is Brian Smith. I'm a seminarian of the Diocese of Youngstown, and I'm joined today by Jacob Stinnett, a seminarian of the Diocese of Columbus. Let us begin our show in prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord God, you call us to know you and to love you. We give you thanks for the people in our life who have helped us to know you, to learn about you, and we ask you to continue to lead us into a better appreciation for your love for us and for your calling for our lives. Our Father, who, who art in heaven, heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So, Jacob, we've talked about the saints on a few of our shows so far. We have. And on one of them, we even kind of started breaking saints down into some different categories, if you will. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We mentioned that sometimes we call saints confessors, martyrs, um, and there are other names we have for types of saints. So I thought today we could talk about another category, if you will, and it's a pretty elite group that we have today. Yeah. The doctors of the church. Um, Yeah, probably one of the most elite groups, maybe outside of the apostles, I would imagine. Right, Uh, because we have the 12 apostles, or maybe 13 or 14, depending on how you number them exactly. We kind of (laughs) graciously put a few others in that category. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, a very exclusive group. Um, And As you mentioned, the doctors of the church are also an exclusive group. Mm -hmm. There are... um, to date, 36 of them, um, going back from uh, the beginning of the uh, 14th century um, is when we started attributing the title doctor. Oh, that's when we first used this name? Right. Oh, okay. Right. Um, so in, in the medieval church, uh, all the way up until uh, most recently, um, the 36th doctor of the church, St. Gregory of Narek, mm-hmm. Um who maybe doesn't have the most name recognition of all of the <laughs> saints um, on the list of doctors, um, but he was named a doctor by Pope Francis in 2016, I believe. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, this group of 36. So, are these saints known for performing surgery on people? Um, they may have performed surgery, but they're not known for it, okay. that's for sure. So, uh, unlike St. Luke, the patron of physicians, um, these are doctors in more of the academic sense of the term okay. from uh, the Latin, I'm sure, as you know, docere, uh, to teach. Right. Yes. Um, so that's where we get doctor. Um, so they're known for teaching the faith. They're known as really good teachers of mm-hmm. the faith uh, also. So it's not like Saints Cosmos and Damien who were known for being doctor, physicians, you know, mm-hmm. medical doctors who wouldn't let anyone pay them for their services. We're talking about something else here. Right, right. We're talking about... Um, you know, as you would call a professor in college or, or something like that, a gotcha. teacher. Okay. Mm-hmm. So we call these doctors of the church, and um, apparently the church has 
called important teachers by a few different names throughout the history of the church, throughout the 2,000 years. Yeah. Um, so first we had a designation called Apostolic Fathers. Mm-hmm. So that's really the first generation or two of the writers and teachers right. of the church, right? So in the first century, maybe 150 years or so of the life of the church, yeah, those first few generations after Christ, after the apostles, we have mm-hmm. the Apostolic Fathers um, who had significant writings um, in confirming, you know, doctrines of the church that we hold true today um, and for promoting the life of the church in those uh, more difficult persecuted times uh, when it was still an up-and-coming sort of thing. So you have um, like St. Clement uh, mm-hmm. of Rome. One of the was, early popes. Yeah, I believe the fourth pope of the church. Um, he uh, has a, a wonderful letter also to the Corinthians right. um, that we read occasionally in uh, the Liturgy of the Hours or other places in the church. Um, including that also you could put um, uh, the the Didache, um, mm-hmm. which is that early um, sort of treatise on Christian living and Christian discipline. Yeah. Um, the anonymous authors we could call apostolic fathers and that, that text um, mm-hmm. that we've referenced previously uh, with the hymn, Father, We Thank Thee Who Has Planted. The right. text comes from the it, Didache. It tells us about the Mass and some of the prayers they would say in right. the Mass. Right, right. Um, so those are some of the apostolic fathers. Um, so then after those first 100 or, you know, maybe up to 200 years, mm-hmm. the, you know, leading teachers from around the year 200 till more or less around the year 1000, I think, or a, yeah. little, a little later maybe, mm-hmm. are called fathers of the church. Does, it sounds very similar, but we use this designation for the important teachers from that that time period. Right. So they're not in the apostolic age anymore. Right. So this is typically after... Um, the toleration of Christianity with Constantine mm-hmm. in uh, 313. Um, so these are our teachers, um, many of whom are bishops, not all are bishops, um, but many right. are bishops um, who are writing um, either with theological disputes that were happening in the church over the nature, natures of Christ, um, over the persons of the Trinity. Right, like how do we talk about God? Right. How do we talk about exactly who Jesus Christ is? Right, so they were... Um, instrumental in sort of formulating the language, the theological language that we use today, kind of um, defining all of the right terms. What Mm -hmm. can we say um, about Christ giving us the the parameters Mm -hmm. of language um, to inform our belief and our faith? Mm -hmm. And then we can take those, okay, what does that tell us about the human person Mm -hmm. and about the world that we live in? Um, So it's a rather broad category, the fathers of the church, there's no official list, um, okay. so we can't say, like with the doctors, there are 36 doctors. Right. There's no, you know, 200 fathers of the church. There probably aren't quite that many. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can split them between different categories. Typically, they're split into two, the Latin fathers and the Greek fathers, right. um, both for the languages in which they wrote, but also the different halves of the Roman Empire, the dif- two different cultures, really, mm-hmm. that they were living in, writing in. Um, and different controversies in which they engaged. Yeah, it was kind of a division between the West, which is identified as the Latin Fathers, <laughs> and the East, which would be the Greek Fathers. That's right. That's right. And then once we um, get beyond these first two categories, the Apostolic Fathers, and then the Fathers of the Church, that third category is what we're going to be talking about mostly today, the Doctors. That's the right. That's right. Um, so with the Doctors of the Church, um, not only are they known for their teaching and their 
theological prowess, maybe, mm-hmm. um, but also for their sanctity. Mm-hmm. So to be a father of the church, not not all of the fathers of the church, I should say, are saints. Okay. Um, most of them are mm-hmm. um, because, you know, having this teaching comes from living a saintly life, but a few of them right. aren't saints. Um, maybe the most famous example would be like Tertullian, mm-hmm. um, who lived in the fifth century. He was a Latin father, um, excellent theologian, mm-hmm. and lived a holy life up until a certain point. Um, he kind of got involved in one of the um, heretical sects at the time and died outside of the church, unfortunately. So, to be a father of the church... You have um, to have both those things, not only really solid teaching, but an exemplary, an exemplary life. Right, especially, yes, to be a doctor. you know, the later part of your life, you know, leading up to your, to your death. Yeah, that's right. Um, there's a, a good anecdote the, at the funeral of Pope St. John Paul II. There mm-hmm. were chants among all the crowds, you know, Santo Subito, Santo Subito, make him a saint now, saint mm-hmm. now. Um, but in a, accompanying that, there was also the chant, Dottore Subito, Dottore mm-hmm. Subito, make him a doctor, him a doctor also too. of the church. Um, just people already recognizing that wonderful witness of Christian living that he gave throughout his pontificate, throughout mm-hmm. his whole life, um, as well as the the vast um, amount of teaching and also the depth of his teaching for mm-hmm. um, the world, the contemporary world today. Um, so, teaching to can, be seen, but also teaching to be heard. That's right. That's right. So we can pray that. One day, maybe, um, St. John Paul II will be included among the doctors of the church. Mm-hmm. Um, I would certainly be in favor of that, but <laughs> it's not up to me. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, we certainly still reference him quite a bit in our classes, and you know, his teaching informs a lot of our basic studies. Absolutely, absolutely. Cool. And an inter- interesting fact is that um, to be called a martyr is considered a higher distinction than to be called a doctor. So if someone taught really well, but they died the death of a martyr, we wouldn't call them a doctor, right? Right. So you have um, examples like St. Ignatius of Antioch, um, whose writings um, are still referenced in church documents today. He lived in the towards the end of the first century and the beginning of the second century mm-hmm. AD. Um, and also someone like St. Irenaeus of Lyon, who was about 100 years after St. Ignatius. Both of them, their writings are very important for the development right. of doctrine. Um, but because they were martyred, um, we don't attribute them with the doctors of the church. We attribute them to with the martyrs because mm-hmm. that's an even higher honor. So what more? That ultimate gift of their right, life. What yeah. more could they do? Precisely. You're listening to The Seminarian Show on St. Gabriel Catholic Radio. I'm Brian Smith, and I'm joined today by Jacob Stinnett to talk about the doctors of the church. Um, so we've laid a little bit of a foundation, you know, What's a doctor? A doctor is someone who teaches and not only just teaches with words, but also gives an example of life worth imitating. Um, and we've mentioned that there are 36 of these doctors who have been identified throughout the history of the church. And many of them have only been named doctor very recently, right? That's correct. Yeah. So um, 22 of these 36 doctors have been named doctors only since the beginning of the 19th century. So we're talking less than 200 years. Yeah, around 200 years worth of time. We've had 22 um, theologians uh, and saints named doctors of the church. Mm -hmm. Um, And I've never really seen written anywhere, you know, why all of a sudden this sort of explosion in the naming of 
of doctors, but I think we can kind of look at both um, their lives, looking back on them, and then also at the church in the modern world today and kind of come up with some different reasons maybe why they, um, they've been named doctors so rapidly. They've been naming doctors. Um, I would say the first is, you know, it, it takes a while for the teaching and the witness of a saint's life to sort of permeate the culture of the sure, church. Sure. Um, the church uh, is slow moving and that's by intention. Um, so it, it takes, you know, several hundred years sometimes for the writings of these uh, doctors to really capture um, the heart of the church and the mind of the church. So we were talking about Pope St. John Paul II earlier, and we have to keep in mind that, you know, people were calling for him to be a saint suddenly, like quickly. Mm-hmm. But he lived in a time when it's really easy now to get his writings out to the whole world, you know, mm-hmm. publishing them in books and even now with the internet. And he was the Pope too. So he kind of had the stage that everyone was listening to him. Right. Or some of these doctors didn't have that same platform to Mm -hmm. speak from. And then also many of them lived in a time when not many people had access to the things that they may have written or knew of their, their example of life. So it would have been a more gradual process for them to be appreciated. Sure. Sure. There's the example of um, one of the most recently named doctors of the church, St. John of Avila, Mm -hmm. whom, I hadn't really heard of. I don't know anything um, about him myself. <laughs> before the, before making this show, um, he lived in the 1500s and wasn't named a doctor of the church until 2012. Right. So it took 400 years, 450 mm-hmm. years for the church to begin to appreciate and recognize his work. So mm-hmm. that's kind of an example of how long some of this can take if you're like St. John of Avila and don't really have that same papal stage um, or or the technology of the era to be able to... And he was just a lowly parish priest like you and I are playing to be. So we're getting ready for um, obscurity. That's right. That's right. That's good. That's, it's good for our humility for sure. Um, yeah. And so um, what are some of the things then that have led, especially in these last 200 years, to popes declaring doctors of the church? Yeah. So in addition to... Why bother? Just sort of... <laughs> Um, the the teaching permeating the life of the church. Um, The church has also kind of been confronted with new um, problems that um, weren't really part of the life of the church previously um, since its toleration under Constantine, which is sort of these very large cultural threats um, that we have in like secularism um, or uh, atheism on the rise Mm -hmm. and these sorts of things, Marxism as well. Um, So you have these sort of ideologies that aren't necessarily opposed to any particular doctrine of the church, but just the existence of the church or the acknowledgement of God um, just generally. Um, Right, because if we're talking about 200 years ago, that would have been the time very soon after the French Revolution, Mm -hmm. which was the first of many similar movements, especially in Europe, where, um, you know, the the church and the things the church owned, the church's ability to speak in public, the ability of, you know, representatives of the church, priests especially, to do mm-hmm. <laughs> what or they're just supposed to, be seen to do. In public. Yeah, to yeah. be in public um, was starting to really be threatened. Right. So in response, the church puts forward these great doctors um, who have this profundity of, of learning, of teaching, but also this very saintly 
witness mm-hmm. as well, the, a life of holiness as well as their teachings of holiness. So kind of to give examples um, for all the faithful um, to live up to and to rely on in um, continuing to live the Christian life publicly. Mm-hmm. Um, so is there anything else you'd like to say before we just look at the lives of a few doctors specifically? There's one quotation that I wanted to bring, um, which is from the late Francis Cardinal George, who was the Cardinal Archbishop of Chicago Mm -hmm. until um, his death just a few years ago. He has this short little quote that I think really describes the doctors of the church so well. He says, to make conversion rationally plausible is the apologetic dimension of the church's intellectual history. But to make conversion possible is the result of God's grace and the fruit of his love at work in us and in the world. Hmm. So this sort of dual dimension of what it means to be a doctor of the church, to be a part of the church's intellectual history, but also to be that vehicle of the Holy Spirit's work in the world. So thank you, Cardinal George, for that um, inspiring quote. And hopefully um, we all can contribute in whatever way we are given to contribute to the intellectual history of the church to make that conversion of the world more and more. Mm -hmm. So now I'd like to um, highlight maybe three different doctors of the church um, to kind of briefly talk about their lives, about their teaching, um, to kind of ground this in particular people. That'd be great. Yeah. um, The first one I'd like to bring up is uh, an early doctor of the church. Um, His name is St. Athanasius of Alexandria. He lived from 297 until 337 um, in the early church, and his life was sort of mired by uh, scandal, uh, not on his part, right. but within the life of the church. Just a lot of contention and disagreement Yeah, quite a bit. between him and other influential people. Right. So some people will say it's his life was sort of Athanasius against the world. Um <laughs> So he lived in Alexandria, Egypt, which was in the eastern half of the Roman Empire. So we mm-hmm. would consider him a Greek father. Mm-hmm. At a time um, when Egypt was a big Christian, you know, center. Right, right. Um, so he was a participant at the First Council of Nicaea, which is one of those great um, Christological councils, the ones that mm-hmm. talked about and sort of defined what we know, what we believe about Christ and the Trinity. Um, So the question was, uh, at the Council of Nicaea, was Christ fully God as well as fully man? Mm -hmm. Um, And St. Athanasius came down very hard um, and very forcefully for the truth that Christ is fully God as well as fully man. Not just a sort of superman or someone above humanity, but below God, some sort of intermediate um, creature, but that Christ is was the second person of the Trinity incarnate, so taking on human nature um, himself. And St. Athanasius received a lot of uh, pushback from this. One of the emperors at the time agreed with um, his opponents, Mm -hmm. the Arians, um, named after uh, Arius, who was sort of the proponent of this idea of the uh, less-than-divine nature of Christ, that Jesus, you know, at some point hadn't existed. You know, he was made at some point. Right, right. Um, and so St. Athanasius actually was exiled from his bishopric in Egypt five times over the course of his life 
um, and never once uh, strayed from the truth. He consistently promoted um, the the full divinity of Christ, and he has uh, an easy little quip to remember um, to remember his teachings, and also to show the importance of his teachings. Mm-hmm. Um, he famously said. Um, God became man so that man might become God. Mm-hmm. He doesn't mean this in some sort of way that, um, you know, we're all going to um, have our own universes that we're going to govern in heaven or anything like that. Um, but that, you know, the the second person of the Trinity took on human flesh to allow humanity then to be caught up into God at uh, at the end of time, yeah, um, God had a union with humans that was so close as to become one of us, so that we could also become so close to Him. Right, right, to open up the gates of heaven to us again that had been closed through Adam's sin. So Athanasius is a, a great example of one of the early um, doctors of the Church, mm-hmm. um, giving that witness to the incarnation, uh, the importance of it, um, and what it means. For us as Christians today, that that we have that um, calling to be with God in heaven, which is possible through Jesus Christ. Well, thanks to be to God for his life and for his writings and his teachings. That's right. Quickly, then, uh, we'll go to the other two doctors. Um, the first is uh, St. Thomas Aquinas, who is very well known in the world of theology. Mm-hmm. Um, St. Thomas was a Dominican friar. He lived from 1225 to 1274 in the 13th century. Um, He's probably most famous for his large theological treatise, the Summa Theologiae, uh, which covers uh, all of the big topics of theology. Um, So his his teaching is is quite broad. Um, In addition to the Summa, he also did many commentaries on scripture that are very valuable. Mm -hmm. Um, But not all of his work was that sort of really heady intellectual stuff either. He was no. a renowned preacher. Um, people mm-hmm. would come from all over the Italian countryside to hear him preach, especially when he was in uh, Naples. And towards the end of his life, he gave a series of homilies on the Lord's Prayer, mm-hmm. um, which are um, excellent. And you can actually find um, a great book nowadays um, that kind of distills the main points of what St. Thomas is saying on each of the petitions. Right. The Our Father. The book is called Praying with Confidence. That's right. Um, and that's Thomas's whole thesis of the Our Father is, you know, that we can call God Our Father um, is having that confidence, that childlike confidence in him. And that idea of childlike confidence in the Lord brings us then into our, our final doctor that we're going to talk about, um, which is St. Therese of Lisieux. She's both the youngest um, person mm-hmm. to be ever named a doctor of the church. She died um, when she was just 24. Um, and also the most recent to our time, because okay, she only right. died um, less than 125 years ago. And she lived m- most of her later years in a monastery, right? That's right. So she was a Carmelite um, and lived in the Carmel, the monastery mm-hmm. in uh, Lisieux in France. Um and from, from the outside, one wouldn't think she had a particularly extraordinary life. Um, she was she entered the convent at uh, 15, and um, she spent the rest of her life in the, in the convent. 
Um, but she was gifted by um, the grace of God just to have this deep insight into what it meant, what it means to be a child of God, mm-hmm. um, to live um, simply and holily, um, <laughs> to have a holy life. Mm-hmm. Um, it, she she taught her what's called her little way, um, which it says that you know we're not always called to do these sort of grand things that we read about in some of the lives of the saints. Some mm-hmm. of us are, right. um, but everyone is called to holiness. So holiness can't be contingent on these sort of grand acts right. that we do. Um, it's doing the little things for the love of God. Um, so even in the convent. Um, you know, if she was assigned to do the dishes that mm-hmm. night, well, she would do. She would wash all the dishes out of her love for God, right. and that contributed to her holiness, to um, her closeness with the Lord. And I've read a little bit of her diary, and mm-hmm. even throughout the diary, you see she also had a knack for just being able to see the way God was working in even the small things, not just the way she could herself love God, but the way in you know, things that perhaps we might pass over easily as we're going throughout our days. She was able to just be attentive to how God's love is being shown to her in those things. That's right. So um, she was proclaimed a doctor of the church by Pope John Paul II in 1997, just 100 years after her death. After her death, yeah. um, Which kind of shows how quickly um, she was... Um, appreciated by and taken up by the Church Universal. Mm-hmm. Um, Pope John Paul II, in the letter that proclaims her a doctor of the Church, uh, writes, Through spiritual childhood, one experiences that everything comes from God, returns to him, and abides in him for the salvation of all, in a mystery of merciful love. He says, this is the doctrinal message that was taught and lived by St. Therese. A very simple message, mm-hmm. um, but one that is so deep that we can continually right. ponder it and simple, but it takes a lifetime to really enter into it. Right. Right. Well, thanks for sharing with us a little bit about who these doctors are, um, both in general and a few specifics there. Um, I know there's a lot more to discover and I hope that you and I and everyone listening is able to, through the means that we have available, um, really access the teachings that they have that will lead us closer to God. So let's finish with a prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Blessed Mother, in the Holy Scriptures, not many of your words are recorded, but among the words that we know are, is the time that you said, do whatever he tells you when referring to your Son. Help us to live this out in our lives. Hail Mary. Full, full of, of grace, the Lord is with thee. thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The Seminarians is a production of listener-supported St. Gabriel Catholic Radio AM820. Archives of The Seminarians and all of our locally produced programs are available at stgabrielradio.com.